Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Should you lock in to a longer-term mortgage? Another pickle for the premier, the golden dating game, plus pharmacists are helping more patients, a Hamilton leader calls it a career, and are you addicted to the World Wide Web? The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Some homeowners bracing for impact after learning that mortgage rates are apparently going to stay higher for longer. Ugh. Bank of Canada says borrowers with fixed rates are expected to see an average payment increase of between 14% and 25% next year compared with early 2022. And in 2025 and 26, according to the central bank, payments should rise between 20 and 25%. Brian Hogman is a principal broker and founder of Mission 35 Mortgages, also the author of How to Get Mortgage Free Really Effing Fast, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Brian, good morning. How are you? Oh, living, living the dream, Rick. I love when you uh, introduce me with such good news from the Bank of Canada there, you know? <laughs> it's we, just always glorious. Have we ever had you on <laughs> regarding good news? I don't think we've had good news of late. You know what? We will one day, Rick. I do see it in my crystal ball. We will one day, you know, and I'm hoping it's sooner than later, but I don't think it's in the next quarter. That's for sure. <laughs> so what does this interest rate announcement, or I guess the suggestion that these rates are going to be higher for longer, what does it mean for our listeners' mortgages? Yeah, I think what it does is it gauges people's expectations because people who have been in that variable rate mortgage or more and more people that are coming up for renewal you know, we're constantly hearing that rates are going to go down. And the expectation is that it will go down, but it's not going to go back down to the 2% range that we saw, you know, 12, 18 months ago. It will likely go down, you know, it started at a quarter, maybe to a half, maybe to one, maybe to 2% down. But we're not going to see those rock bottom rates that we got spoiled with um, prior to the rates starting to go up in March of last year. I've heard from some people that their mortgage, which is up for renewal soon, it's going to double in some cases. What are their options? Yeah, great point. And, and that is absolutely right. Something to bear in mind, too, is that people's mortgages that are maturing now, if you did have a really low rate, the savings grace, the saving grace is that you would have paid down a tremendous amount of principal in that time. So the options are with inflation, rising prices. We've seen a lot of rising debt as well, too. Number one you can look at reamortizing your mortgage. What that basically means is you put the mortgage over a longer period of time, which makes your payment smaller, even though the rate's gone up. So I know it's counterproductive, but in order to stay in the home and combat these rising interest rates, we're seeing a lot of people go for a 30-year mortgage again. Uh, the second thing that you look at too is please, please, please make sure you end up shopping. There are so many different lenders out there today. And if you're with a bank, the bank will offer you a renewal, but a lot of good mortgage agents and brokers, what they do is they shop different lenders for you. So just make sure you're getting a second opinion when you get that renewal form from your bank. You mentioned stretching out those amortizations. Are, are we seeing this stretched beyond 30 years? Are we, are we allowed to do this now? And is it a good idea? Idea. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm um, I'm a big advocate to believe it's better to stay into home ownership than to leave home ownership. Uh, meaning that you know if times are tough and you have equity in your home and you can keep the home, I think it's better off to reamortize it. Thirty years is the conventional amortization for people that have at least twenty percent equity in their home. However, we do have lenders out there for a premium, though that is the word there. Premium. They may charge an extra percentage point. 
to get a 35-year mortgage. So you can get the extra five years. So there are lenders like that for unique circumstances that maybe if it doesn't work with a bank, that we have to go to an alternative lender. Talking about mortgage rates and rising interest rates with our guest, Brian Hogman, principal broker and founder of Mission 35 Mortgages. You can check them out online, mission35.com. Is that correct? Or is it mission35mortgages.com? I didn't write it down. You know what? We've got both domains. If you put in mission35.com, that should come up or a weird Call of Duty video game scene will come up. Either or. But <laughs> Either you'll or you'll be entertained and informed at the yes. same time. Hey, let me ask you about this because we know people are going to be renewing their mortgages, whether they've been a variable or a fixed term. Should they be looking at the longest term possible? Oh, Rick, that is a great question. And here, natural human tendency, when we're at the peak of any interest rate cycle, we start to think, I'm fed up, I'm done with it, I'm locking in, I don't want to deal with this anymore, which would mean you'd lock into a five-year fix. That is, if, if that is where you're at in life, that's okay. If you want to lock it up and forget about it, great. But what we are seeing, though, because we are getting near the top of the curve, the economists are forecasting, you know, spring, summer 2024 to see interest rates start to come down again, either a variable, if you're very brave right now and it came up for renewal and you have the cash flow, a variable or a one-year term to see those things. If you're very risk adverse, uh, like I say, you don't like to go to the casino, which is fine. <laughs> the five-year term is good. Set it, forget it, as long as you can make your payments and you have a long-term plan. Lots more info and some great rates online as well. Mission35.com. Brian, we'll leave it there. Thanks for the time today. Enjoy the day. Thanks, Rick. You too. Brian Hogman is the principal broker and founder of Mission 35 Mortgages. Check out his book online as well, or ever get your books, How to Get Mortgage-Free Really Effing Fast. Uh, by the way, more than 46% of Canadian mortgages had payment schedules longer than 25 years as of the second quarter of this year. And uh, that's an amount that's been steadily rising from about 32% the summer of 2020. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. More heat on Premier Doug Ford. The intention was right. We need to build homes. There's now going to be 150,000 people that will not have a roof over their heads, but we're going to continue to build in areas that we can build on. All right, so what's going on here, you ask? Well, officials within the Ontario government are now acknowledging that Premier Doug Ford uses his personal cell phone for government business, but they are refusing to divulge his phone logs. Also, is Hamilton's boundary expansion plan the Greenbelt 2.0? Here to answer some of those questions is Colin DeMello, our Queen's Park Bureau Chief at Global News. Colin, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. Thank you for having me. Some of our listeners might be thinking, well, what's the big deal with these phone logs? Why is the premier's use of his personal cell phone for government business a problem? Well, the uh, the premier has every right to use his personal cell phone, but there are also record keeping uh, requirements that all government officials kind of have to have to go through. So as an example, if you have your work email presentations that are made, uh, sensitive conversations that are had, those are all kind of kept within uh, within um, Queen's Park records. On top of that, um, there are freedom of information laws that you know, extend to private and personal communications as long as it's for government business. So as an example, if the premier is 
texting a bunch of people on a government phone, then that should be open to freedom of information laws. The big question here from Global News, I mean, our curiosity really centers around who the premier is talking to, who gets to influence the premier, who gets to have one-on-one conversations with the premier. And, and we don't necessarily care about you know personal calls to friends or family. We care more about calls to CEOs of companies or to um, you know potential landowners related to the green belt or, or, or what have you. And from the point of transparency, people should know what inputs go into the decision-making for a premier, right? Is it coming from a special advisor? Is it coming from his caucus or cabinet? Is it coming from constituents? Or is it coming from those who have self-interests and are benefiting from those government interests? Who gets to bend the ear of the premier? That's what we want to find out. Will the public ever have a chance to see these call logs? Potentially. So currently, we filed an information, a freedom of information request. And this has now been escalated to the Information and Privacy Commissioner, who in general will be the arbiter of these kinds of matters. The government says, no, you know, these are the premier's personal call records. They're saying everyone who calls the premier is a constituent and is therefore dealing with a matter that requires some level of privacy. And the government says, listen, it would also be way too difficult for them to be able to go through the premier's cell phone to assess what was the nature of the call. Was it business or was it private or personal? Was it constituency matter or was it a government-related matter? They're saying it's way too difficult for, for them to assess exactly who the premier is talking to. So the government does not want to release those records. We've been making a transparency argument, right? That the taxpayers here should have some view into who the premier is sending messages to or receiving messages from, who he's calling to understand the inputs that go into that decision-making process. Um, So it'll be the Information and Privacy Commissioner that'll ultimately decide what happens from here. And that's kind of our our best shot to see whether or not we can get access to these records. Colin DeMello is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Colin is our Queens Park Bureau Chief at Global News. I want to switch gears to uh, urban boundary expansion because some are calling this uh, the Greenbelt 2.0. As we know, Hamilton, uh, Ottawa's in this boat as well, calling for the province to rethink its plan to expand uh, each city's urban boundary. And some people are saying, yeah, this is Greenbelt 2.0. Developers are still being, uh, you know, uh, told that, hey, these lands are available. What are you hearing? Well, I, the, the, the funny thing is that the province really hasn't said a heck of a lot about this. I mean, they're not really, um, you, you know, because it hasn't risen to the same level of scandal that the green belt did, the province is kind of taking a wait and see approach to see where it goes before making whatever decision they're going to make next. Um, ultimately, though, I mean, you know, these urban boundary expansions could get caught up in the green belt if there is discoveries, um, you know, that that other media outlets have made in the past in terms of who owns the land, who benefits from the land and, who, you know, what relationships those people have. Uh, with the with the Ford government, it certainly has the potential to you know turn into that. Um, I think everything the government does from here on in, related to housing, related to land development, will come under intense scrutiny because of this Greenbelt scandal, and the government is going to move very cautiously uh, to kind of. Um, you know, open any lands for for development here because they've been burned so badly. And and keep in mind, you know, remember the premier said that he was going to be reversing the Greenbelt decision. They're going to be doing that in legislation and they haven't actually tabled the legislation. Tomorrow will mark two weeks since the premier gave that apology Niagara Falls and promised to reverse the decision. 
Two weeks later, the government hasn't taken any concrete action that we've seen publicly to actually reverse that Greenbelt deal. Hmm. So the, the entire Greenbelt lands, they're still in play. We're still waiting to find out when the government will table this legislation uh, to put the genie back in the bottle. In regards to the urban boundary expansion, this is the last one I have for you because it's got about 90 seconds. NDP leader Marit Stiles has said that she plans to ask the Auditor General to investigate this. Is, is this going to happen, do you think? Well, we have to see what the Auditor General says. Typically, the opposition parties will make a request and then, you know, the various bodies will kind of determine whether it, it rises to, to their level or, or it necessitates an investigation. But the last investigation the Auditor General did was the value for mon- money audit investigation into the Greenbelt land swap. And that was what kind of touched off this entire scandal on August 9th when she delivered her report. So I think that's what the NDP is kind of going for here if they were successful once in getting the auditor general to investigate and that led to a lot of information coming to light then perhaps they might be successful again with the urban uh, boundary expansions getting them to investigate i i think what you're seeing from the opposition is you know they are trying to fire off as many arrows as possible hoping that some of them will land knowing that not all of them will uh but you know you're, you're not going to find any success if you don't kind of launch those arrows anyway. That's a good point. Colin, always appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the day. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Colin DeBello, Queen's Park Bureau Chief at Global News. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. How does dating change once you're a senior? Well, ABC premiered The Golden Bachelor last week as 72-year-old Gary Turner retired restaurateur from Indiana, started his journey to find love. I want someone with high energy. I want someone who's a good communicator. I want someone who is trustworthy beyond question. I want someone with good life experiences, someone who's really intelligent in areas that maybe I'm not. The reality dating show premiered last week. It, it is apparently a big hit. A lot of people watched. And Amica Retirement Homes in Stony Creek actually held a viewing party for their residents. Carly Gagnon is the Community Relations Director at Amica Stony Creek and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Carly, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm good. So is this, uh, is watching the regular Bachelor, quote-unquote, a common occurrence at Amica, or, or did you just think, hey, the Golden Bachelor's on, we got we got to let our residents uh, in on the fun? Yeah, I mean, Amica Stony Creek really, we really try to focus on bringing back um, or even just bringing in new innovative ways of enriching, you know, the lives of our seniors that reside with us. So we thought it would be a great idea to kind of roll reality TV into uh, a very fun event. And as soon as we heard that there was going to be a Golden Bachelor, the first senior um, on this type of reality TV, we thought, hey, why not just bring this in as a fun event, see what the you know opinions were, see how everybody enjoyed it. And uh, the event ended up turning out to be such a, an amazing uh, success that evening. It was great. So obviously you have to continue on and, and find out what happens with Gary Turner. Yes. I mean, I know a lot of the residents who joined the viewing party while they enjoyed like their champagne, um, they really just got to really understand like what it is like to be a senior, you know, out in the dating world. And they got to experience what it was like on reality TV, where you have millions of viewers watching, and they got to share in their experiences of, of what it was like when they started dating. 
Um, you know, back in a lot of their times, there was an online dating and, and now things have changed significantly for seniors who are looking to get back into the, the dating world and have a second chance at love, just like Jerry. And uh, they were very, you know, excited to watch the show and look at the different ladies that were coming out and kind of picking out who might be, you know, his uh, his future wife. And, you know, they were giving even like dating tips and tricks as well. So it was quite funny to hear their dating stories and then how um, senior dating has evolved over over the years as well. That's part of the fun is, you know, you're seeing all these women getting, you know, out of the limousine and some come uh, up to the, you know, quote unquote contestant, Gary Turner in this case, and kind of showcasing, you know, whether or not they could potentially be a match. And I can just picture the seniors at Amica Stony Creek kind of watching this show and thinking, well, I would have done something different. And I'm not sure if you were able to watch it with them, but I, I can just kind of picture what they were saying. Yeah, we uh, we were very had a great opportunity where we had our amazing team members join in on the fun. So we got to watch and we got to pick and put our votes in who we feel Jerry uh, will be ending up with. I'm a little biased, but personally, I really enjoy Edith. I think Edith will be the one that he ends up <laughs> being with. But it was great to uh, sit with the residents and chit chat and laugh. Um, some of the cont- contestants are quite quirky. Some of them had amazing careers. So it was just nice to connect with the residents over some champagne and fresh baked pastries and uh, our all day bistro. So it was really a great opportunity just to kind of watch reality TV because a lot of um, seniors, reality TV wasn't something that they have watched. Mm-hmm. And so now that we're bringing reality TV back in, they've actually really enjoyed it. And so they've been asking me all week, hey, Carly, The Bachelor is going to be on this week. What are we doing? So we plan on doing um, a fun event every week when The Bachelor is on. And we're going to follow Jerry and his journey to love up until even like the the season finale, which will do definitely um, a big celebration because uh, we do pretty good celebrations at Amica Stony Creek. So I can't wait to kind of see the, the creativity of the team kind of come together and um, see who he ends up marrying. The uh, the next show uh, is happening tomorrow night. I, I, I'm sensing there's a buzz in the residence. People are talking about it. They can't wait for the next show. Yeah, there definitely is a buzz at Amica. I mean, they um, even up until the event, residents were asking, what is this event? What's it all about? So we really, um, really try to hype up any of the programs and activities that we we offer at Amica. Um, even on a regular day, every hour on the hour, there's programs going on. But I think with this particular event, it was just so different because so many people um, have so many misconceptions of what it's like to be a senior in dating and what that looks like and, you know, what that means. And um, a lot of them really got to get into it and kind of got to understand, you know, what it, what it would be like if they go back in the, in the dating scene and, and what would, you know, be a great date for a senior and, and how could they maybe get some tips and tricks from Jerry and the ladies that um, are on the show if they decide that they kind of want to get back into the, the dating scene. So it's great to always have like fun events like this. And there definitely is a little buzz and I can, you know, walk down our, our hallways in our residence and everybody's talking about it. Everybody's sharing, you know, their experiences, who they think he'll marry. And then we even have some gentlemen coming up and saying, Hey, Carly, could I be the Amica Stony Creek, the golden bachelor? <laughs> and we just have quite a lot of laughs about it because um, it's just something now that has opened up people's eyes that um, there is love past like 71, especially in, in Jerry's case. So 
It's that, great. That was one of the things I was going to ask you. Has this show kind of reignited or ignited the flame uh, of some residents? Are they looking at each other thinking, hey, I mean, we can do this? Yeah, I think there is a lot of like ageism around just because you're you're older doesn't mean that you you can't fall in love again. And it doesn't mean that you can't still enjoy, you know, companion companionship and that we all need like emotional fulfillment in our lives. And whether you're 29 years old, which is kind of what a lot of the old like the other Bachelor shows have um, showcased, but it doesn't stop at the age of 70. So I feel you know, maybe for some of the, you know, widowed residents and some of the residents that might have been on their own for a long time, that could be something that, you know, they've really missed and they just haven't really known how to, you know, get back into the saddle per se and, you know, understand, you know, what it would be like to to date because, you know, different generations and have had their ways of what dates look like. And um, it's interesting because I looked up... um, I looked up a, a stat and it was really in really interesting that 100% there is a 100% increase um, in people from the age of 55 to 72 who started using dating sites during the pandemic <laughs> which really tells that there was a lot of people that were looking for companionship and were looking for that emotional fulfillment um, and where to find that and I am more than 100% confident that there are quite a few residents in our, our building that um, whether they're on independent living, the assisted living neighborhood, um, and our secured memory care neighborhood, that they're still looking for love and they're looking for that emotional fulfillment and, and companionship. And that can look in so many different ways now. Absolutely. Um, well, the pr- the premier episode, yeah, the premier episode of The Golden Bachelor was uh, last week. I'm sure a lot of the residents at Amica Stony Creek are looking forward to watching it as well. Uh, and, and me as well. I enjoyed the, the premiere as well and looking forward to seeing how mm-hmm. it unfolds. Carly, appreciate your time this morning. Uh, enjoy the day and enjoy the next episode tomorrow night. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on this morning. You got it. Carly Gagnon is the Community Relations Director at Amica Stony Creek as they are getting ready for uh, part two of the Golden Bachelor tomorrow night. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We probably heard in the news yesterday that pharmacists in Ontario can now diagnose and treat many more common ailments. Actually, there's now 19 on the list, I believe. But they still can't prescribe things like birth control or emergency contraception. Now, that might come sometime down the line. But we heard yesterday from the CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association, Justin Bates, who said the ability to prescribe those medications is necessary to address women's health concerns, which I would say isn't very important. Joining us now on GMH is Mohamed Elsa Bakawi, a pharmacist at Shoppers Drug Marts. Mohamed, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Greg. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, hey, thanks for joining the show today. On Sunday, pharmacists' prescribing powers are expanded to include uh, new medications for acne and diaper rash, canker sores, parasitic worms, um, nausea and vomiting in pregnancy. Ha- have we seen already some people come in to, to get these medications? Um, thanks for having me, Rick. This is exciting news as we continue to build the momentum around leveraging really the expertise and education of pharmacists. And to answer your question, absolutely, that um, the demand has been quite high since January when we started um, this um, program of, uh, you know, um, pharmacists assessing and prescribing for minor ailments. It started with stuff like, um, uh, you know, urinary tract infections, uncomplicated urinary tract infections, cold sores, and the, um, um, as the minister um, a couple of days ago mentioned that it was over 400,000 assessments 
that got done um, since January 1st. So the demand has been quite high. Is this something that pharmacists want to do more of? They want more uh, of these prescription powers? Is this a good thing? I think this is an absolutely a great thing. And um, pharmacists, we, I see this, that pharmacists, we have the education. You have all schools of pharmacy across the province. Uh, they teach PharmD program where the, every pharmacy graduate, they have to go through rigorous um, education within six years. Uh, they learn a lot about, you know, clinical pharmacology, toxicology, prescribing authorities. So this is exciting that the pharmacists can actually practice what they learned in school. So when it comes to prescribing these uh, pills or, or, or medications for for these ailments, it's also freeing up some time for physicians, for family doctors that don't have to deal with this kind of thing. So this is obviously a, a big thumbs up for people who need help right away. Absolutely. So I see this, that this is creating capacity, increasing um, faster, convenient access. Um, pharmacies are open in Shoppers Drug Mart. We're open late hours. Um, so this is really increasing the the access to these pharmacists. So I see that there is, you know, gap in access to care that, and you have pharmacists who are educated and willing to, to help. Plus, we have that trusted relationship with the pharmacists, with, between the pharmacists and the public. And when you see 400,000 assessments getting done, that tells me that there is appetite, there is um, a willingness of pharmacists to really help and be part of the solution. And the, 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 the public, absolutely, they trust the pharmacists. So uh, why not? Let's, let's work together as a team to really help reduce the, um, you know, depart- uh, emergency department visits, uh, really freeing up the time for the doctors, actually, to deal with more complicated cases. Yeah, those ER visits, uh, that's a good point, too, because we know that not everyone has a family doctor. And if someone gets sick and doesn't have a family doctor, it's, you know, one way of getting treatment is to go to the ER, which is not a great step. If they can go to a pharmacist uh, and get the medication they need, I mean, that's going to save a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of heartache as well. Mohammed El-Sabakawi is a pharmacist at Shoppers Drug Mart and is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. So when it comes to birth control and emergency contraception, how how much longer are we going to have to wait before we see some pharmacists handle that as well? Very good question. I, I would love for that wait not to be long. Um, we aspire to practice as our fellow pharmacists in Alberta who've been doing this for over 10 years, and they're doing this in a safe and effective manner. So we aspire to doing this. But I think um, I really agree with the government that it's, it's great that they're doing this in a phased approach. And it can be done in a safe and effective way. But uh, to answer your question, pharmacists are, are hungry and they're, um, they're willing to help and they're ready to step up as we've done in the pandemic. You can see that, you know, we were quickly uh, able to mobilize and, um, you know, really be there for our patients to deliver COVID testing, COVID vaccines and really prescribing for Paxlovid. So we can't really wait for, you know, to expand the scope of practice for pharmacists to match what other provinces have been doing for decades now. Speaking of COVID and flu season is just about here, are we seeing some people coming into pharmacies to get their shots? Um, We have been seeing a lot of patients asking, when is the flu shot coming? When are the flu shots coming? So we we anticipate that it will be a very busy season. Um, I encourage everybody listening to get, you know, your flu shot and the COVID vaccines as well. And again, Shoppers Drug Mart will open late. You can book appointments on you know, the online, or you can book through the PC Health app, or you can just walk in, depending on the pharmacy. You just need to speak with your pharmacist 
Excellent stuff, Mohammed. Thank you for your time this morning and enjoy the day. Thanks so much for having me. That is Shoppers Drug Mart pharmacist Mohammed Elsa Bakawi chiming in on the, the new ailments that pharmacists can now prescribe uh, in terms of medications, birth control and emergency contraception. Not on that list right now. It sounds like they uh, will uh, join the list in 2024. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A longtime leader in this community announcing his retirement from the Hamilton Community Foundation. In a social media post yesterday, Terry Cook wrote, quote, Some career news. I have officially entered the departure lounge. What a ride it has been. Thankful for so many who've been part of my journey, especially the four loves of my life. Terry Cook is currently still the president and CEO of the Hamilton Community Foundation, at least for the next year. He joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Terry, good morning. How are you? I'm excellent, Rick. Nice to be on with you. Was this an easy decision or was this a hard decision? Um, these decisions are always hard in that, uh, you know, I've given my career, my life, my soul to this organization for the last 15 years. I've loved every minute of it. Um, I'm proud of the tradition that we've built upon. It's been an outstanding, historic, impactful place for 70 years in Hamilton, and I had the privilege of leading it for uh, a good chunk and really the final leg of my career. So I, I feel grateful, but there are always mixed emotions involved when uh, when you're wrestling with what's the right time to, to pass the torch. So why is now the right time? Well, I think um, as a leader, you always think about um, the stage of the organization and where you're at. And for me, 2024 will mark 15 years in this role, which is a long time as a CEO. I'll also turn 65. Uh, I'm seven months post sextuple bypass surgery, and it strikes me that uh, the organization will benefit from renewal, and we we have both some outstanding young leaders within the organization, and I'm sure there'll be lots of interested parties when they conduct the national search for my replacement, and I think it's always healthy uh, to have a an orderly transition uh, to bring new ideas and new energy to organizations. You, you don't want to stay too long, and I think that's been part of the mantra of my career. I retired from politics 23 years ago uh, after six elections. That was a really good decision for me. I turned 40 at the time, and then I spent a decade in the private sector, uh, enjoyed and learned a lot of things there, and then at 50 had the great privilege of... Uh, of being hired into this role, and it uh, it has been a remarkable journey. So I'm sure the the folks at Hamilton Community Foundation are already picking your brain at you know what qualities does the next president and CEO need? What what are you saying to that? Well, I, I think that'll be something that our board is well equipped to wrestle with. Um, I always say that different generations of organizations require different skills and uh, and abilities and relationships. Um, it likely isn't going to look a whole lot like uh, the incumbent. So I would, you know, encourage my board to spend some time thinking about what are the things that will continue the momentum that we've built and what are the different uh, attributes that you might look for in the next leader of the organization. I, I would say this, uh, deep knowledge of community, passionate commitment to our values, which include making sure that Everybody is welcome at the table. And then some vision about how do you harness the remarkable 
asset base, which is now a quarter of a billion dollars or more, uh, to, to impact the greatest amount of good for the most people in this community. Terry Cook is the president and CEO of the Hamilton Community Foundation, announcing that he's going to retire next year. And he's our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Every leader, when they're when they're leaving an organization, wants to leave it in a better place. And I'm sure you're doing that. Uh, how much better, more impactful can this foundation become? Well, let me start by acknowledging the shoulders that I stand on because we have had 70 years of strong leadership, both at the board and uh, in the CEO role. And so I was handed the keys to a vehicle that was already um, something that had robust capabilities. Um, But we've grown dramatically. um, But I always, in this business, uh, the foundation and philanthropic world say it's not about the money. It's, in fact, about the impact. And the things I'm most proud of is, our leadership in education, where I think we made one of the largest commitments in the country to trying to improve educational outcomes, particularly for low-income and diverse kids in this community. Affordable housing. We released our vital signs report a week ago, and I think we're the largest non-government financer of affordable housing likely in the uh, in the charitable world, and certainly we are a huge presence locally in supporting partners to build, develop, and, and retain affordable housing, uh, which is an issue that is at crisis-level proportions across the country. So it, it's really about the work, the relevance, the partnerships, the ability to collaborate, and the ability, ability to be disciplined and focused about uh, how do you leverage your, your assets for the greatest amount of good. You mentioned you were a city councillor, you're a regional chair. I think you were on the transition board during amalgamation, entered the private sector, Hamilton Community Foundation. Uh, with all you've achieved, is there one career highlight that sticks out to you? Well, you know, I would say there are a couple. One is the privilege of leading a historic institution in Hamilton at a critical time of growth and impact. Uh, And certainly the work we've done in education is something I'm really proud of. If you're going to look at an earlier part of my career when I was in public office, that too was a great experience for a very young, inexperienced political leader and, and you know, clearly a big part of my focus was in creating the new city of Hamilton in 2000. And I think that continues to pay dividends and notwithstanding the uh, growing pains that newly amalgamated cities uh, inevitably experience, this is a community with a great future. And in part, that historic decision was something that uh, I made a significant contribution to. And I think history will show that it was the right decision for this community. So yeah, lots lots of opportunities and, and things along the way that I'm proud of. And equally, you make lots of mistakes. So <laughs> let's not dwell on those. <laughs> we'll leave it there because uh, our time is up. But Terry, I appreciate your time. Congratulations on all you've achieved. I'm sure we'll talk to you down the road. Terry Cook, president and CEO of the Hamilton Community Foundation, will retire in 2024 after an illustrious career in public and private sector. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The new study out that is looking at our addiction to the internet and it's actually developed a spectrum to see where we fall there's addicts addicts in denial those who experiment on the world wide web initial users and casual users so those are the categories that you would fall in now researchers say the younger a person is surprise surprise the more likely they are to be addicted to the internet 
and that addiction, or at least the, the urge to get online, decreases with age. Again, there's no surprise. But what is really interesting is that 22% of respondents openly acknowledge that their internet addiction, so they know they have an addiction to the net, and it negatively impacts their lives, yet they still go back and back and back to the wonderful world of the internet. Well, it can be wonderful. Other parts, not so much. Carme Levy is a technology analyst and a journalist and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Carmi, welcome back. How are you? Great to be back, Rick. I'm well. Thanks for having me. Are you addicted to the internet? Oh, I think we all are. <laughs> and, I, and, and I think, you know, I think that's the, na- the very nature of addiction. We know that there are negatives to it. We know that it's doing harm to us, yet we can't seem to say no. We can't seem to stay away. We keep going back. We keep picking up our phones. We keep getting sucked into those screens, uh, even though we know that it's ridiculous. We almost feel like Pavlov's dog. Every time the notification goes off, we're picking them up, yet we can't seem to break ourselves of that addiction, and we, no one seems to want to miss out on what's going on online. That FOMO, fear of missing out, is very, very powerful for a lot of us, and in just a sh- few short years, uh, it's become a, just an incredible, almost like a drug, uh, and, uh, and, and study after study shows very clearly uh, that at all ages we're being affected, and particularly the younger you are, the more likely you are to start getting hooked, and the numbers are jarring. I fully admit that I am a, an internet addict. I think that, yeah, that the FOMO is, you know, I got to find out what's going on. I think there is also a thirst for knowledge when it comes to humanity. I mean, back in the day when we didn't have the internet, we would go to the Encyclopedia Britannica, or we would ask mm-hmm. a friend, hey, do you know the answer to this question? Whatever the case is. Is this a problem, though? Um, to a certain degree, yeah. I mean, you know, simply using the technology to answer questions, to, you know, figure out how to get something done at work, to help us complete a, an assignment at school. Of course, these are great things. I, I think back to when I was in elementary and high school and how much I wish I could have had the Internet then uh, to, you know, do what I do. You know, my our kids are so incredibly lucky to have these uh, absolutely historic tools to get stuff done. It's remarkable what you can accomplish if you know how to leverage the technology. But that's the thing about technology. There are always two sides to it. There's the positive, use it the right way to do positive things uh, or get sucked into it and lose control lose, lose control of yourself and, and, and sort of be subject to the negatives. Uh, and so I think we need to be aware of that dark underbelly, aware of the risks of addiction, aware of the risks of, you know, all the negatives that we can run into online. Um, as we are doing our best to find those advantages, to to leverage it for good, uh, so it, it's it's and and it's all up to us, right? It's it's entirely our call when we pick up our phone, when we first boot up our laptop in the morning, how we're going to spend that time. Are we going to use it to finish that paper, get it done, and then get back to life, or are we going to doom scroll TikTok uh, from morning until night to the exclusion of everything else? Uh, because if it's the latter, then yeah, I think we're falling victim to the dark side. If it's the former, then I think we've kind of figured out what that balancing point is. Again, this research says the younger the person is, the more likely they are to be addicted to the Internet. If there are parents or even grandparents listening right now thinking, well, what are the warning signs? What should I be looking at? What are some of those key indicators that suggest a child or a youth is addicted to the net? 
Well, and often cases, they won't tell you what they're, you know, our kids, you know, when they were at that age, you know, the age here that we're seeing is that's especially concerning is 11 to 17. It's, uh, you know, Common Sense Media is releasing data that shows that some kids are spending upwards of where they're getting upwards of 5,000 notifications within a one day period. They're spending up to 16 hours a day uh, in one app, TikTok, uh, almost to the exclusion of all others. And so a sign for parents when, you know, if you're wondering if your kids are, are you know, pr problematic in terms of their use of technology is, are they communicating what they're, what you know, how they're using technology? If they're not, if they're hiding it from you, then that's clearly a problem. If you're not having dialogue, that's usually the first and most significant sign that there is a problem. And it was just as true in non-technology issues as it is with tech. Uh, but in terms of technology, as a parent, you should have visibility into how your child is using technology. What's not necessarily standing over their shoulder, that is not the answer. You know, 24 seven monitoring is not the answer, but simply being able to talk to your kid about it and having your kid tell you in an honest and, and forthright way, what they're experiencing, what they're using, issues they're running into, so that you can be you know, part of that conversation with them. As soon as that conversation stops, that's your red flag. We have a couple more minutes with Carmi Levy, technology analyst and journalist, as we talk about internet addiction on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Is there, if your child or grandchild is addicted, and, you're, and, and maybe someone in their adult years is addicted as well, listening to this thinking, I need to get some help, are there resources out there to get help? Uh, I mean, you know, short of uh, deleting all the applications, no. Um, <laughs> the reason being is these are tools, these are everyday tools that we're using. Um, and so, I mean, obviously, you know, built into the operating systems, built into the apps, there are limits. So you can set screen time limits for yourself. You can set connection limits for yourself um, or for someone else if you want. If your child agrees, you can uh, you can set you know barriers and 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 things like that. But uh, truth be told, this is one of the most easily accessible uh, technology addictions there is simply because this tech is so ubiquitous. And that really is the problem, um, is that the tools are there to help us balance our use, but we have to choose to use them. And because we can't simply go cold turkey, we can decide that we don't want to smoke and then quit smoking uh, and deal with all the issues of withdrawal and whatnot. But in terms of technology, we will always, in order to navigate the world, if I want to take transit, for example, I'm probably going to need my smartphone to figure out where to go, what the schedules are, and even to pay for my trip. I can't go through life without a smartphone. So uh, we can't just turn it off. Uh, we have to figure out how to balance that use. And that is incredibly difficult. And honestly, uh, going forward, I worry, it's not, not just around smartphones, but any other technology that replaces smartphones, we can't simply live without this stuff, which is very difficult for someone who's addicted. How do you, you know, how do you, how do you incorporate it into your daily life, recognizing that it is a risk factor for addiction for you? Yeah, it is a phenomenal topic and subject matter that we uh, were able to share with Carmi Levy, technology analyst and journalist. Carmi, always appreciate the time. Thanks. So great being here, Rick. Thank you. I got a kick out of the one category. Uh, casual users, they have the oldest average age of the five categories. And those who use the Internet on a casual basis basically are like me in a grocery store. They get what they need and they get the heck out of Dodge. They go online for a task to do whatever they got to do, find a you know, piece of information. They don't even linger. They're out of there as fast as possible. Uh, casual users, one of the... 
groups in the spectrum of internet addicts. Where do you stand? You can find more online at 900chml.com and globalnews.ca. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900chml and online at 900chml.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review.